What's up, podcast world? I'm back at you, Chad Belding. This life ain't for everybody. Brought to you again by Jack Daniels. I was opening a bottle of Jack Daniels the other day to let somebody take a smell of it because it was a flavor that I don't have a lot of experience with. And they, it's, uh, it's, I don't know if you guys have tried it. It's their new rye and I've drank it one time. I got another bottle of it after I tried it and I opened it up and they were wowed by the smell and the difference in what the Jack Daniels rye is compared to the sour mash. It's got a peppery smoky little flavor to it. And it is awesome. So if you haven't checked out the Jack Daniels rye, check it out to go along with the apple and the Tennessee fire, maybe a little honey, maybe a little seven, maybe a little gentleman, Jack, maybe a little single barrel, barrel proof or Sinatra or the gold. It's Jack Daniels. It's Lynchburg, Tennessee. It's right outside of music city. I love Jack Daniels. They've been through everything with our team and our crew personally and professionally. We don't, don't abuse it. We never allow underage drinking. We always use it in moderation and we always make sure that we do it morally when with the people that are around us because we never want to give Jack Daniels a bad rap. And my guest today lives along the same lines. He made mention to me yesterday in a texting conversation that half the battle, more than half the battle and success in life is just showing up. My guest today, back for the second time, is Jeremiah Carlson, a.k.a. Biff, fighter pilot, U.S. Navy, U.S. Air Force, absolute badass. Welcome back, my brother. Hey, thanks, Chad. It's a pleasure to be back. Uh, you look good, buddy. I was I was commenting on your haircut. You've told me because of COVID that it has been an order that you cannot go get your haircut anywhere with most of the barbershops still being closed in the state of California. But I like it on you. I, this look is uh, it's almost got a little Val Kilmer-ish, almost uh, Top Gun meets Tombstone <laughs> Val Kilmer look. It really does. You got both both characters mixed in, Doc Holliday and Iceman. Hey, I'm here to be your Huckleberry. <laughs> I like it. So when you made mention of that, like I, our last podcast was so intriguing to me and I got so much feedback on it about, you know, the lifestyle and what you do and how modest you are about it and how easy it comes almost to just say, yeah, I'm a, you know, I serve my country as a fighter pilot. And to a lot of people, including myself, that's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. And I really wanted to get into today as we ended the last one on part one, Biff, we talked about lifestyle, discipline, culture, goals, short-term goals, mid-term goals, long-term goals, what you've achieved so much in that cockpit. Um, we, I want to get into like, what, what is your mindset? Do you, do you, are you going to be a lifelong military man like your grandpa was, like a lot of the individuals in your family and your family tree were, or is there something else on the horizon? So let's start off a little bit just with current state of affairs. Are, um, are you flying every day right now? What's it like right now? Are you still training in one of the machines that we're getting ready to be released to go over in theater? What's shaking right now? Yeah, so um, we're still flying. Um, actually, since our last podcast uh, back in May, we've certainly ramped up our operations as the world starts to return back to normal or, or what is the new normal, right, as we do uh, continue COVID mitigation uh, to keep people safe. But the mission has to go forward, right? That is always going to be uh, the, the priority in the military is that the mission's got to go forward. Like the country, uh, the, the threats aren't quitting uh, out there and we have to go uh, to keep pace with them. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so our, our mission continues. Um, and we are flying, uh, every day. Uh, I typically, I'm, I'm like just for a personal schedule, I fly probably three days a week or so, uh, executing our mission here, uh, at VX9, which is the, to do operational tests for the Navy uh, on the F-18 and on the Growler. Uh, so we take new weapon systems. We take new software. We take new systems for the F-18 and for the EA-18G Growler. Uh, we put them through operational tests. So we take a new system. Uh, we try to break it 
and then we try to figure out how to employ it tactically uh, before we release it out to our free our fleet brothers. So specifically with like the Growler and the other ones, are you are you like in the final stages of approval? What what deems it approved and execution is ready as far as like sending it out and saying that this has met all standards. You can securely and safely fly and 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 participate in combat in this any given unit. Yep. Yeah. There's a whole test plan and process that we go through that we're wrapping up one right now and we're getting ready to start a new one uh, in the near future. Um, I can't really get into a whole lot of the details of it, um, but it's a it's a continual process and it's an iterative process uh, as new uh, threat techniques come online. Uh, you try to count on it's like we talked about in our our, um, our first podcast a little bit about parity. Right. And as uh, you know, you developed a bow and then I developed a, you know, or somebody got a club in warfare and then the next person gets a bow and you kind of grow. Uh, your capacity that way, that same thing is still relevant and true today. Uh, as threats emerge, uh, as new technology emerges, we try to integrate that into the military. And when you start to talk about threats, um, is terrorism always going to be the main one? Is it always been the main one? I mean, obviously, there's been world wars and civil wars. And if, if you understand the history of our military and what you guys have gone through, but in today's world, Biff, is it safe to say that terrorism is the number one thing that we are on the lookout for? Or is there a lot more out there than, than we really even know about? Uh, yes, there is a lot more out there than, than people know about. Um, when uh, Secretary Mattis in 2018 uh, really called attention uh, to that. So if you look at like the long history of the United States, right, as we became uh, a superpower in the 20th century, uh, particularly after um, World War II and the, the Cold War and those big geopolitical interactions between, uh, you know, for instance, the Cold War, Russia and the United States, right? Like that is our big threat. And then we had all these smaller pop-up wars and insurgencies in Vietnam uh, and in South America and in Africa. Um, out of those sort of insurgencies is where a lot of the terrorism tactics come from. Uh, that really kind of came to fruition in the 60s and 70s. Uh, some of those terrorists, that's where the, you get the, a lot of that term from. Um, to our modern iterations of it, uh, radical uh, you know, Islamic terrorism, as you get into radical uh, narco-terrorism. Like, so those are all these sort of non-state actor threats that we still have to counter. But in the past two years, and arguably uh, going back even further, we've had the emergence of great power competition, is the way it was worded in our national defense strategy, uh, where you're looking at the emergence of the Chinas, the Russias, uh, the Indias, the Pakistans, um, these growing powers uh, in the world that are challenging U.S. hegemony uh, that we've had basically since the end of the Cold War. Uh, and so we have returned to a great power competition. Um, and you'll see that a lot in our defense budgets uh, and our where we shift our priorities as a country um, over the past several years. The, it, it's really a recognition that um, we're not just the top dog and the, the terrorists are trying to, to blow us up because they hate our way of life. Um, there is a significant great power competition going on in the world uh, in everything, like right, not only just in military, but in, in industry and in technology, um, in our socioeconomic status, right? You look at some of the, this, the, the discourse and unrest that's going on in our country right now. 
Um, to think that there is not an international component to that and a great power component to that uh, is really blinding yourself to to the way of the world. How how does it all come to like full integration to where all of us is the American people and we know we are, we understand we're a melting pot, Biff, but I, I was, when you're talking, I'm sitting there watching you talk and listening to you and I'm like, how do we get everybody on the same page of how important this defense budget is and how just everything from the military down to the blue line and our community protectors and, and, and how important is an EMT and how important is a police squadron and officer and, and, and precinct and, and firefighters. And then all the way up to what you're doing, it's, it's all, it's always been talked about in politics and here we are in a debate year, but mm-hmm. budgets, um, are we going to bring our, you know, are we going to lessen the budget for our military, which was a big thing, you know, with before the previous four years of the president we have in there right now. Um, how do we get everybody on the same page and is it always going to be a democratic Republican deal or is it, is the military is always has to be first and foremost, in my opinion, because you just laid out several areas that America could potentially come under attack because of who we are. Are, the way of life, what, the way that we, you know, the way that we've protected our freedoms in the past in different wars and being part of NATO and diff- and being part of different organizations that go over and protect other countries, people are coming after us. Is that fair to say? And how do we get everybody on the same page to understand that? Yeah, that's certain. That's certainly it's certainly fair to say that people are coming after us. That is that is absolutely a, a fair to say a fair statement. Um, in the military, right? Like we have to be uh, not only by law but by uh, common practice, we need to be apolitical, right? Like, like I, and, and, and me, you know, Jeremiah speaking on uh, a podcast is certainly not to be, you know, like, this is the opinion of the Navy or this is the opinion of the Air Force, right? Uh, because we are as a service designed and we must remain apolitical, right? And we can inform that debate right? Like this is what we know about the enemy. This is our capabilities. We need to inform that debate. Um, but we don't have a, have a stance in that debate, right? Like certainly not a, a, as a military. Um, so how we come together as a people, right? As Americans, that's one of the greatest things about being in the military is that there are no politics in the military, right? Like I don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, uh, or any of those things, as long as your loyalty is to the Constitution of the United States and you're here to do the best job possible to defend it and to work like and with every fiber of your being to defend that country, uh, to defend your people around you, to improve the place, then you're, then you're on my team, right? Like if, if you're here uh, to do a good job and to defend the country, then you're on my team. Um, that's, that's really important to me is like, are you an asset or are you a liability, right? Like it's always working to be an asset. Uh, and if you have people who, who can't see eye to eye because of politics and they can't work together, then you're, uh, a liability. You're not an asset. And I have no time for people who who are liabilities and not assets, uh, when it comes to the defense of the country. And if you take politics out of it, but you take in like civil order and civil duty and civil rights, 
are you allowed to have a personal or professional stance on somebody that might riot or protest, but go as far as burning the American flag, stomping on the American flag? Can you have a personal feeling on that? Or do you have to be a civil to where now you have to stand up and say, Hey, I'm protecting that person's right to be able to burn the American flag, even though they are showing that they're stomping on it and burning it. That's against our constitution. That's against our freedoms. Do you have to stay quiet in an instant like that in an instance like that? Um, you know, again, that, so based on the difference between what I do in the military, uh, for, um, the country and to de- and defend our country against all enemies, foreign and domestic, right? Like those are the, the, the oath I took was to do that. Um, I still, as long as, you know, I am not a law enforcement person, right? Like I, I don't have some special ability to go and arrest somebody just because I'm a member of the military. I can't do that. Right. It's like if somebody's breaking the law, uh, I can, I certainly have a duty to protect my community and to protect the people around me. So I will report it 100%. Um, and if somebody is threatening either me or like other people's lives or property, you know, I always have an inherent right of self-defense. Uh, so we'll certainly exercise that, uh, to the full extent of my training and ability. How, um, but how, I, how bad is like it hurt, I, I though? Is it emotionally I mean, good to a, you? On a, on a personal level, it, it's infuriating, right? And, it, and it's also really sad uh, on a personal level. Like, it's really sad when you see that kind of thing where you're just kind of going, hey, man, we got a lot of people in a lot of really crappy places uh, who are working to keep you safe to go and do that. Uh, so, yeah, on a personal level, it's, it's really hard to see that kind of thing. Um, and you wish that uh, people who, you know, are anti, like literally they're anti the United States of America while living in the United States of America, right? Like you wish that they would get outside of our country and that they would, and that they would see how some of the rest of the world is. Um, and I think it would probably change their opinions. Um, I know doing so changed my opinion, uh, significantly. In which ways? Well, just in, in understanding like how great we have it in the United States of America and how worthy she is to defend, right? Like it validated for me what I've dedicated my life to and that this country, this way of life, this idea of being an American is important and it's worth defending. Yeah. I, I, I can't think of any other way to be or, or believe that I've never been in a jet, you know, a fighter jet or been in theater, but I've been in a lot of different places in a lot of different countries that it's so humbling to see how good we really have it. And that we get to wake up and we can go jogging or we can go pray or we can go hunt or we can go fish or we can go snow skiing or we can go get on a wakeboard there. You could go on and on. We could have a 10 hour podcast just on what we get to do and how much we take that for granted. And now I think now with where you're sitting, look at how much you took a haircut for granted. I mean, just going to the barbershop and talking smack with your buddies and getting the mustache trimmed and, and, and looking like Val Kilmer. I mean, think about how we take that for granted. I mean, we, 
at any given time during COVID, we've seen hunting seasons canceled, the Canadian borders closed, so thousands of Americans can't even go up there and hunt. And that's like their tradition, right, to go up there in September and October. Well, now that these rights are being taken away from us just one after the next, we've got to start thinking, like, how special is she and how special is it to be from here? I mean, it's... In a way, it's not our fault that we were born into this because our forefathers and our ancestors, everybody came before us, whether it was the Italians coming over from Italy and being stamped WAP without paper and fighting to become citizens here. And there's a lot of different culture here. I get that. But we were born Americans. And it's hard sometimes to accept that. Like, man, what if we were born in Saudi Arabia or we were born in, in Cuba and we, and we had to live that way of life? Um, and it was a lot of it's forced upon these people, right? So it, it, it's almost my question was because it's almost just a no brainer to understand how important the military is and how important it is to come together and support it budget wise, freedom wise, belief wise. Um, but when I see stuff like that flag or something being, you know, taken for jet, you know, put into jeopardy or taken for granted, I just get an eerie feeling because I know there's folks like you out there that your hair's crawling when you see that stuff because of the missions that you and your brothers and sisters have continuously done now before hundreds of years before and in every war that we've ever fought to keep this place free. It's, it's kind of a weird deal that not everybody's on that same page in our country. It's weird to me. Yeah. It's the problem with the pluralistic society. It's, it, it's so weird though. Like to think that some somebody could actually say no i don't support the freedoms like i don't support the military i don't support what they're fighting for but again i look at it from where you're at and you have to be like i gotta i gotta fight for their freedoms too they have the the right to have that 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 opinion it's weird that's just a a, a very weird thing to me yeah it can be a little awkward um you know on a personal level uh but you have to defend our freedom of expression uh contained within uh, the bill of rights and you know, it, it, I, I, took my, I took my oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Uh, and that's, you know, I, I have to always go back to that. You know, that's a very core mission statement, right? Like something that you're you're pledging your life and your oath to. Uh, that's a really core mission statement. Um, and if, if you don't start at those principles, then you, you nothing else makes sense. I agree 100 percent. And if. As you sit there today and you and, and you uh, are involved in this on a daily, you know, just your regiment is like how regimented is it? I want to get into like how we, t we touched on it last time. You sure. know when you're going to fly. You know when you can have a drink. You have to stay in shape. You have to work out. Your nutrition, your, your intake has got to be on par. Like is everybody that way that you know that has been in this position of being a fighter pilot? Because when I look at it, Biff, I'm thinking like, man, you cannot cut a corner because you are literally going to be in the most extreme fighting badass machines ever built. And you're responsible for millions and millions of dollars at any given time when you're up in the air doing what you do. Do you ever catch yourself cutting corners in your daily routine in your life? And is it regimented to where you go to bed every night, but not without brushing your teeth and taking a shower. Do you wake up and brush your teeth? Like, is it a hundred percent just Biff is on the ball all of the time? Or do you ever like fall off and just humanize yourself a little bit to where you're not just oh, yeah. a fighter pilot? Do you fall off a little bit? Oh, of course. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm Jeremiah. I'm a, I'm a human. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm all of those. Um, I would say that most everyone in our community is pretty type A. They're pretty regimented. They're pretty disciplined. Uh, discipline 
is the source of, of, of being a good fighter pilot. You have to be disciplined, right? Like, like discipline is the, is the source of that. Um, there is no other easy way. There's no hack, right? There's no shortcut to being a good fighter pilot. Like you have to be disciplined. Um, you know, a lot of that then comes with like, what is your, what is your mission statement, right? Like, like, what do you want to do with your life? Uh, uh, and that will then drive your lifestyle, right? So yeah, I, I have a, a, a pretty important routine to me, uh, that I stick through that I stick to on a, on a daily basis. You know, I have a set time that I wake up a set routine that I do in the morning. Um, do I do it every single morning? No, because sometimes there's stuff that pops up, right? Like you have to be able to have a flexible response. Um, but I noticed for me, particularly if I don't set, do my morning routine, I have about a two hour morning routine that I go through. Um, if I don't do that, then it sets a, a, a negative trend for the rest of the day. Uh, and so, you know, you just have to recognize that adapt, overcome, and then try to stick to that routine as much as possible. Can you give us a little insight on what that two hours is? You don't have to give us full detail, but is it like, do you stare at yourself in the mirror for three minutes and tell everybody, tell yourself, Biff, this is going to be a good day. And I am a winner. Do you do abs? Uh, I haven't do, done that one. You haven't done that one. Do you do abs? Do you, I mean, what, what is involved yeah. in this two hour routine? Coffee, yeah. abs, running, oh, jogging. What is it? Uh, definitely coffee. And, and you got to always work on your core. Um, no, so I, I, I set an alarm between five and five 30, uh, is when I'll get up every morning. Um, I found that any earlier, uh, and I'm not getting enough sleep uh, to cover it. Like, like getting the right amount of sleep is super important for your cognitive health and for your overall health, uh, as far as your cortisol levels, your stress, like I have, and if I get up any earlier than five, um, it's not something that for me is not sustainable, but if I get up between five and five 30, uh, that's really sustainable for me. Uh, and, and to me, it's all about developing a battle rhythm that you can do for the long haul that's sustainable. Um, my morning routine is, is oriented around action. It's, it's all oriented around action, about creating focus, uh, about working hard and moving forward so that the rest of the day can be productive. Uh, so I wake up between you know, 5 and 5.30. Um, my first thing out the door is I go and hit about a 20 to 45 minute workout based on how long I have. Like if I, on the long end, I'll do a 45 minute workout. Uh, if I've got the full two hours, or if I'm kind of limited to an hour to an hour and a half, maybe I'll only do a, a, a 20 minute workout. Where? Uh, on base? Uh, right down my, in my garage gym and on the trails uh, outside my house. Um, so you can, uh, so I live down on the Southwest corner of town and there's a whole bunch of great running and mountain biking trails that are right out my front door. Uh, and I got to take the dog out to go poop. So I take Remington for a run. Uh, we go, usually hit just like a hard sprint mile uh, or so. Uh, then we come back and then it's just a, a, a whole body routine of kettlebells and pull-ups and calisthenics and maces and uh, kind of fun stuff like that to really just get the body moving. Um, right now, as we're as the daylight is kind of starting to dwindle, I'm pushing more towards the 5:30 because if I if I start running right at uh, you know if I start running right at 5:30, it's still dark and then the sun will start to come up as I'm finishing the first portion of my run. Uh, so. That would be interesting to see how we transition into the fall. Uh, and it's always kind of interesting to watch that. Uh, but yeah, I hit a, I hit a hard workout. Uh, and then after that, like getting water in, particularly here in a desert is super important, right? Like getting your hydration back to where it needs to be after you lost so much water over the night. 
Um, so I'll do a, a lot of water. I do like an apple cider vinegar, lemon juice, uh, and then a little bit, of, a little bit of hot sauce. Uh, our buddy Tim's hot sauce is, is really freaking good to to get that going. Um, I just make a little concoction, uh, drink that down, and and boy, you talk about that's like a little bit of a good wake up too uh, to get you going. Get that capsa- uh, capsaicin in there. Um, I'll drink that. Drink a lot of water. Uh, and then I go into, while I'm still breathing hard, um, I go into, uh, I shoot, I shoot the bow, you know, try to get at least uh, 20 or 20 to 30 arrows downrange, uh, in my backyard when I'm kind of coming down from the workout, but I want to still shoot while I've got a high heart rate and, uh, and, and breathing rate just to keep training for that because, uh, elk season's now, yeah. uh, and it's, it's time to be ready to be in the mountains. Um, and for me, archery is also a discipline. Like, like shooting the bow is a whole mental and physical and I think even a spiritual component to, to shooting a bow well and to shooting and to letting an arrow go. And to me, there's just something really peaceful about it in my brain because you block out everything else. Like when you're doing a hard workout, you're intensely focused on what you're doing, right? Like I'm not thinking about uh, the, the later stresses from the previous night or what I have to do later in the day. I'm focused on that moment. Uh, and I'm doing that routine. Uh, I'm doing the exact same thing in the, when I'm shooting the bow. Like you, there's only that moment and, and that arrow. And it allows you to really kind of quiet your brain and focus, which I think is really important for, for action, uh, is to be able to, to just lock out everything else, knock down on this certain problem, uh, and then execute. So I'll shoot the bow. Uh, I'll water my plants uh, in my little garden. And then I'll uh, let the chickens out let them go run and free graze in the backyard. Um, I think I'd probably just gotten my baby chicks at our last podcast and now they're like full hens and I'm waiting for my first eggs. So I'm pretty excited about that. How many? Uh, I got seven. I got four Rhode Island reds and three leghorns and, you know, knock on wood so far, all seven have made it from uh, baby chicks to adult hens uh, and Remington hasn't killed any of them. So I'm pretty excited about that. Nice. Um, but yeah, so let the chickens eggs. out and, and kind of do that. Like, uh, and to me, there's a lot of, you know, just the routine there, uh, and of taking care of things, right? Like taking care of your plants, taking care of your animals, like giving Remington his food and water, like just the basics of like, I have to take care of the, the things that I've been given because it's really important, uh, for your, your attention to detail and your mental focus to do that. Uh, and then after that, and then it's, uh, then it's coffee time. Uh, and so to me, making really good coffee uh, has been something I kind of got into in the past couple of years, I guess, probably three years, yeah, about three or four years uh, of, again, uh, it's like attention to detail uh, and the process of doing something. Uh, so making like really good coffee, plus it's enjoyable to drink, like good coffee makes every situation better. Um so, so making some, some coffee. Are you ordering some high beans, high quality beans online? Are you working with Tim Montana and the Black Rifle Coffee Company on some yeah. of stuff? Where are you? Where are you getting your beans? Are you? Are you? Are you processing everything from a raw bean to the hot cup of coffee or a cold oh, brew every day? No, I'm not that. I'm not that skilled. So um, are you curing it? I do. No, I don't do. Uh, so I'm also like uh, pretty green. And I don't like plastics going in the ocean because um, I'm a, not only am I a fighter pilot, but I'm a sailor and. I, and I, I hate seeing when plastics are in the ocean. I think microplastics in the ocean is one of our biggest like global environmental threats. Uh, so I don't do Keurigs. 
uh, not that they're a bad company. I don't want to say that. Uh, if you do cure eggs, you probably just do reusable ones. Uh, but no, I order all my stuff from uh, Black Rifle, and then I get some from Bison Union. Uh, and then there's a really great company started by a, a former Marine back in Kentucky. Uh, I order coffee from him, Kentucky Nose Coffee. Uh, he's a great dude. Um, so I, I like to get coffee from a lot of places, but I've, been, I've known the Black Rifle guys for a long time, and they have an amazing product. And I also really just on a personal level support their mission uh, for empowering veteran entrepreneurship. Um, for empowering, you know, the American dream. I think that's awesome. Uh, I support that. So I like to support my friends' companies for sure, uh, as well as have a great product and make a great cup of coffee. Um, so that's really important to me, like the attention to detail on the process. Um, that's kind of as I'm finishing up my morning routine. And then the last thing I do is I come back upstairs and then uh, get ready for the day, you know, shower, shave, make up my bed and pray. Um, when I was growing up uh, in our little church, our, our pastor had you tell these stories uh, to the kids, but they're also for the adults um, or for me as a teenager. Um, There's Burr Whale G Bunny, uh, who always preached confidence uh, and that you got to start every morning. Uh, things always go better when I make my bed and pray. Uh, so that's like a really important thing to me. Uh, I don't think I really... Like growing up as a kid, I would rarely make my bed. I didn't take that advice very well. But certainly when I went to the academy and that got hammered into me, uh, you make your bed every day. Uh, I don't think a day has gone by uh, that I haven't made up the bed. What, so if, that's just what a, if you get called to action from a deep sleep and your bell and alarm goes off to get in the cockpit? Are you still 100% have to make that bed before you put your boots on and get out the door to go get in the cockpit? Or is that is that a forgiven instance? Uh, I mean, I've never had that instance, uh, when you're on alert, like you're not going to get called from your bed to go and jump in and, and fly. You won't, like, huh? If, if, if that happened, then you've probably had a, a traumatic failure of, uh, your scheduling processes while you're deployed. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of the guys in, in ground combat, sometimes that happens. Like when your firebase gets attacked and people are on different ships and now it's all hands on deck. Now everybody's got to get up and start fighting. Um, that doesn't happen in, in the fighter world, right? Like, or if you do, or if it does, like, and I guess it, it did happen in Kandahar uh, with the Marine element down there. Um, and who literally guys did get ripped out of bed, ran out, jumped in the airplanes as Taliban are rolling grenades under them, took off and then started fighting right over top of the, of the, uh, uh, of the base. So I guess that has happened. It's never happened to me, uh, knock on wood. Um, Although you probably get some pretty good stories out of that. Uh, yeah. So like, you know, I, I have a pretty set schedule. Um, but if, you know, if I've got the 5 a.m. brief now, it's like, all right, well, not going to get my full morning routine in. Uh, I try to just do catch as much of it as possible on an abbreviated schedule uh, just to really get your mind right. Like, so for me, the morning routine is all about creating focus um, and is action oriented. Right? Like it has to be action oriented like to set up myself up for the rest of the day. Um, you know, then when I'm at work, right? Like one of the things that I've kind of been appreciating over the past couple of months uh, where I'm at in my current position uh, and at the current stage of my career, right? Like I'm 15 years into my military career uh, and I'm making a, a real shift in um, my leadership, right? Like I'm going from a tactical, you know, I'm, it's me, my formation, my outside formation as a mission commander, like going to accomplish a mission 
to now it's more of an operational leadership, right? Like I have a lot of people that work for me now uh, at different levels, whether they be military or civilian or contractor. I have to liaise with a whole bunch of entities uh, across the services uh, and across um, other, uh, you know, uh, within my current position with doing tests. Like I have now a lot of um, liaisons with, with industry, right? Like when I talk to the Boeing guys or when I talk to the Lockheed guys or, uh, you know, all those portions of industry that are bringing on new, new products. Like I'm not just Biff who's a, who's a, a fighter pilot anymore, right? Like I have to kind of grow my aperture uh, for leadership into more of an operational level uh, leadership and a little bit strategic, but that's for people who with bigger brains and, and more rank than me uh, to do that sort of strategic leadership. Um, but it is something that I've been focusing on a lot recently is just opening that aperture to a more operational leadership and then taking my hands away from the tactical portions uh, and letting the people that work for me who are the tactical experts uh, run with that. So I have a, a pretty good routine when I get to work, right? Like I have to orient things uh, for either tasks or communication uh, at an operational level, right? Like I have certain tasks that I have to do, certain tasks that I have to delegate. Uh, and if there's stuff that I have to delegate, uh, or there's information that I need to pass, like communication has to be one of my main focuses, right? Like if I'm just the tactical dude, I can do it myself and I don't have to talk to very many people. But if I am the operational leader, communication has to be my number one priority. Like I have to delegate authority. I have to delegate responsibility. I have to delegate, you know, like, like set priorities, right? Like I'll get my priorities from the boss and then set them for my people uh, who, who work with me, uh, and for me. Um, and, and I have to really focus on my communication. Uh, I think that's probably one of my bigger failings over the past year is, is really effectively communicating well. Uh, so that's something that I, I have a do out to continue to get better on. I don't know. Well, as far as our communication, I think you're pretty, pretty solid as far as, you know, returning a message being on time obviously that means a lot i have a, f a couple questions about the routine before we transition into what your you know your process is to become a better communicator become more transparent to the strategies and sure. what you're giving up and also you know that's going to tie right into what your goals are you know how long does mm -hmm. this career go as you start to advance in your ranking and your promotions you mentioned apple vinegar okay i'm going back to the apple cider vinegar okay. part of the conversation yeah. it's discussed oh, it's discussed it, well i do i do it but I want to know why. And it doesn't taste good no matter who you are, in my opinion. That's probably why you hot sauce it down and lemon juice it down and whatever you do. But is it the same as drinking kombucha? Do you drink kombucha? And can you get the same effects from a, a, a nice bottle of kombucha as you would in the concoction that you're making? Is that why um, you're drinking the vinegar for those effects? Yeah, yeah. It's for the probiotic effects for sure. Um, and I, I do kombucha as well. Uh, I've got a bottle of kombucha. I, I don't do that as routinely as I do the ACV. Uh, and obviously do, do like the, the organic raw ACV, right? Like if you just go, um, you know, that, that's a, a, an important part uh, of having all the probiotics that's there. Um, not to get like too into my own physiology, uh, but gut health is very important uh, to me. Um, I have a history of colon cancer in my family, uh, and that's something that's like always on my mind. Um, on a, on a 
personal note, right? Like I'm from Kentucky uh, and mom, I hope you don't listen to this. I started dipping when I was 16 years old. Um, and, uh, two years ago or so, I realized that I'd been dipping for 20 years. Uh, like I never dipped very, very much. Like it was never more about a can a week, whether I was going through an upgrade or on deployment or something like that. Um, but I realized I was having some massive indigestion issues, some massive acid reflux was having to take, you know, uh, Tums and all that kind of stuff every day in order to keep it down. And it, it was keeping me up at night. So I wasn't sleeping well. I noticed like weight gain. Um, and then those just like cascading effects on your mental ability. And it was hurting my ability uh, at work. Um, so I kind of, I quit that cold turkey and I realized that I really needed to focus on my gut, right? Like to really work on my diet more, um, uh, to quit using tobacco uh, and then what are ways that I could specifically improve my gut health? Uh, and so the ACV came, uh, I just started, how do I do this? Uh, found the ACV. It works for me tremendously well. Um, I went from having to take, you know, Prilosec and all that kind of stuff every single day to having no issues whatsoever. When I start watching my diet, cut out tobacco and drink apple cider vinegar, uh, like it, it revolutionized my gut health um, and has changed my whole life, which is kind of weird to say, but, uh, you know, just for drinking something, but it really has had a tremendous effect on day, me. day every morning. Yeah. Oh yeah. And when you talk about gut health, you're talking about digestion. You're talking about all of the different organs in your gut and you're talking about staying regular. You're talking about all of this to where mm-hmm. you're, you're pain free pretty much of, uh, and worry free mm-hmm. of your gut now because of the, because of the apple cider uh, vinegar. Yeah, I mean, in that and then and then just being really focused on your diet, right? Like if you look at some of the, the the research that goes into like your gut and how the bacteria in your gut will will directly impact your brain, right? Like that, like that there is a significant connection between the bacteria in your guts uh, and what your brain function is and, and your decision making um, and how you can really impact your brain and your cognitive state with your gut. Uh, so that is, that is it really important to me. Um, as far as like the cancer portion of it. Yeah. That's, that's just part of my DNA. So regular checkups and getting the colonoscopies done every couple of years, uh, is a unfortunate part of being a Carlson. You talk about, you know, your daily routine and making it habit and being very structured. Do you, get a guilty complex or a feeling of letting yourself down. If maybe you go to Nashville and get on a, a, a two day binger with Montana, do you put that much pressure? Do you put that much pressure on yourself to where if you miss a day of a workout or a, or a regimented, you know, schedule, like you just explained your routine, do you beat yourself up a bunch or do you say, I'll get back after it tomorrow. And I'm assuming that you have let yourself down on the, on the regimen once in a while. Cause you said, Hey, you're human. Right. Things happen happen how how much does that play in your in your psyche and your brain because personally biff i get like man i I just i could have done something different i could have been better today i let myself down and i kind of tend to beat myself up a little bit to where now that's putting natural and organic stress Mm -hmm. on me that is not needed and it's because 
I try to stay that, you know, that same focus of what you're talking about, but there are things that come up, whether it's a party night, whether it's a, mm-hmm. a hunt morning to where I, I got up and I didn't, I didn't have enough time with letting the dogs out and getting the boat ready or whatever that I missed some of my things. Do you beat your, do you ever find yourself beating yourself up too much if, if you don't stay on it? Uh, I hope not. Right. So it's a really important, uh, just part of your overall spiritual, uh, and mental being to be able to forgive yourself, right? Like if you don't, if you don't, uh, you know, part of my personal mission statements, right, are to meet people where they're at and encourage them to grow. And that includes meeting yourself where you're at, right? Like if you fall off the wagon, uh, if you don't get the workout, like if you disappoint somebody, uh, whether it be in a relationship or, a pro- or professionally, like you have to be able to forgive yourself, right? Like you can't, you can't condemn yourself. Um, and I think it's really important to be able to do that. Uh, to understand that life is a process, right? Like, and if you're not focused on the process of, of improving and understanding that you will fail, then you can go into those negative spirals, right? I, I think about uh, relationships and your, your span of life is, as teleological, like it's going somewhere. Uh, and when you trip and fall because you missed the route or you missed that part of your character or your personality, uh, that maybe wasn't as good as you thought. Um, you have to stop, take a look at it, get your scalpel out, start cutting out the cancer, uh, and then move forward. Um, there's uh, a great term uh, that, that gets kicked around. It's called a fail forward fast, right? Like you make a mistake, you fall off, you um, you disappoint, you, you, you weren't quite up to the standard. You can either sit there and dwell on it, or you can figure out how to fix it and move forward. Um, and so I, I think it's a really important to be able to forgive yourself, um, to be able to forgive others, uh, and to then move forward. Okay, so relationship-wise, friend-wise, or girl-wise, have you mm-hmm. experienced this to where Obviously, there was a breakdown in communication. Mistakes might have been made. Uh, somebody pissed somebody off. Grudges were held. Bridges were oh, poten- p- bridges were potentially about to be burnt. Um, all of this, is, as I mature in my life, is very important to me. As you look back on your achievements and um, your legacy, or what you want to be remembered at, right? As what is my daughter thinking of me? What are my friends thinking of me? That's a lot of pressure too, because as you you know, mature into life. And as you develop a network and you have all of these different moving pieces of that network, not to mention your regimen, your routine, your, your career, uh, your dog, your seven chickens, all of this stuff going on. I have all that same type of stuff, but now you add emotional stuff. You add arguing, you add love, you add breakdown, you add all of this into it. Have you felt that to where, just in that instance of a breakup or of a relationship, friendship, being on the rocks, do you, can you look back on your life and say, man, I wish I would have done that different, or I wish I would have been a little bit more proactive in fixing it and not, because once you, once you do let that grudge start to build or that bridge, just get a little bit, you know, charcoal on it to where it starts to smoke a little bit before it actually catches on fire. There is a time period where we can fix shit. Do you ever look yep. back and go, man, I wish I would have. And now you kind of are way more proactive. Is that kind of where you're going with this is that you're got, you're going to get to the position where you fix it before it's all the way broke. Yeah. Um, and, and recognizing 
when like when you when you're failure failure when you have had failures it's really really important to to seek forgiveness and to work through repentance and that whole like process uh and i am the king of needing to ask for like forgiveness and and for screwing stuff up like i'm, I'm real good at that um you know so much of, of as i look at my own life has been focused on uh, profession um, and not nearly as relational, right? Uh, so that's something that I, that I am continuing to work on. Uh, as you look, you know, like, what do you want your life to be? Like, what is your mission statement? What do you want to look at at the end of the days, right? Like we all wanted to, to live a life from which we derive meaning and purpose, right? Um, so for me, I take a lot of uh, my meaning and purpose from uh, a quote by Tecumseh. Uh, where he talks about that you live your life such that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Um, then he keep, goes on to talk about like loving your life and perfecting your life and beautifying all things within your life, uh, about having respect for other people, um, about not groveling to them, about always giving a sign uh, and a salute to a stranger um, or a friend, especially when you're in a low place. Um so like having that compassion and that kindness and understanding for other people, I think is really, really important. Um, one of my good friends says that the power of life and death is on the tongue, right? So like that, the words that you speak to people, uh, the words that you speak to yourself are very, very important uh, to say the, to say things that, um, that build people up, right? That are going to encourage them to grow, to rebuke uh, when necessary. Right? to rebuke yourself, to rebuke others around you, um, to really kill your ego. Like those are, are all things that are, that are very, very important. important. Um, and so that when you get to the end of your days, right. Uh, that you're not weeping and you're not crying and you're not, you know, asking for a little bit of time uh, to live your life over in a different way. Um, but that you're happy to sing your death song and you die like a warrior going home. Like that's, that's a, a modern paraphrasing with a bunch of other Jeremiah-isms kind of thrown into Tecumseh's to, 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 to really prescient words. Um, but those are like a mission statement for my life and, and as you kind of move through it. Um, I break stuff up for goals, right? Like you talk about goals um, in the same way we break up a military operation. There's tactical, there's operational, and there's strategic goals, right? Tactical goals, like what do I want to do today? What do I want to do uh, this week? And an operational level, like in a bigger picture, I usually, I kind of try to break things up into about three month periods um, as, I, as I do things, because I try to reflect on only things that have happened over the past three to four months, right? Like I only try to reflect on those things and, and process those things, journal about those things, because I think that that's where you can take a really accurate view. Anything beyond three months, you kind of start to get rose colored glasses uh, if you're a hopeful person like me, or you get really, you know, dark colored glasses, if you're a pessimistic person. Um, uh, and so I, I think it's just really important to be accurate, right? Uh, that you can only sort of reflect accurately on the past three-ish months uh, on specific events. And that you can probably only forecast forward about three months, right? Like, like I would not necessarily... Like as I look forward to the fall and the things that I want to accomplish this fall and then going into the into the winter, like I kind of know where I'm roughly going to be, uh, what I'm going to be doing professionally. Um, I have an idea of what I want to be doing personally. 
I know where I where I'm at spiritually and where I need to go over the next couple of months. I know where I'm at physically and where I need to go over the next couple of months. I can look back on three months ago and see where I was at physically. And it's like, am I better? Like, does my shoulder work better than it did three months ago? Uh, am I faster than I was three months ago? Am I leaner than I was three months ago? Am I stronger? Uh, and just you know, take, take an, a, a period of reflection and then assess where your goals are going to be at. And I try, try to break them up into those tactical and operational. And then as you look at the strategic goals, right? Like, where do I want to be? Like, do I, do I want to have kids? Like, do I want to be moving closer to home? Do I want to be living on a boat in the South Seas? Do I want to be, you know, perched in a, in a camper on a mountaintop? Uh, you know, what are the, the long-term strategic goals for how you want your life to go? Um, as I'm, you know, probably past the uh, three-quarter point in my military career now, it's like you start to look at what, you know, do, how long do I want this road to go, right? Like, how do I long do I want to spend in the military or do I want to transition to do something different? You know, like, do you know this yet or is that too far out of the three-month window to even have an, a, a kind of an answer? Yeah, so, I mean, those are, those are strategic things, right? Like, you know, I, I keep my three-month window to operational. Okay, so your strategic can be longer than that. So as a, oh, yeah, so you're, long, as like, do you, three quarters of your career is over, so you've been in it 20 years already. Mm -hmm. So 15, yeah, you've been in 15, 15 years active duty and then four years at the academy. And so it may not count technically for your military career, but I sure count it. So five to seven years, safe to say that you are committed to the military career. Yeah. At least, at least probably another five, five, five plus years or so. Yeah. And, and your third, how old are you right now? I am 37, 37. So at 42, you could potentially be retired from your duties as a military personnel kind of crazy how close that actually is now yeah uh, i was i was hanging out with two of my buddies uh who i went to the academy with so i've been friends with these guys for pushing 20 years now uh we were hanging out on on um on friday night uh and it was just interesting like talking to them uh and and how different our lives have gone like they both uh flew tankers in the air force so uh, they flew kc10s and now are flying for delta and united and are married and have kids and um, you know, about taking different, you know, we've all taken very different paths from when we all walked across the stage at the Air Force Academy, uh, in 2005 together. Um, so it's, it's interesting to kind of look at that now that you have a little bit of longer perspective on where your life has been and where your life is going. Um, you know, I think it's really important. I had, uh, somebody really close to me tell me probably two months ago, um, you have to look at the people that you want to be like, right? And you have to do the same things that they're doing, right? Like, so if you want to be in a relationship and if you want to have kids, then you need to be around people who are in relationships and have kids and you need to do the same things that they're doing and you need to follow those healthy relationship patterns. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're always going to be sort of like the five people who are closest to you. You know, so it's a really, really important to surround yourself uh, with people who encourage you to grow, who will call you out uh, when you're making mistakes uh, and you're and you're and you're and you're you're messing up, right? Who, who will call you on that, uh, and who can help put you back on your feet uh, and get you to grow uh, when you fall down. So, it, like, that's really, really important uh, for who you who you surround yourself with. 
How do you look at other people that don't live a regimented life like you and can't discipline themselves to en envision life the way that you've just talked about for the last 40 minutes? Do you ever find yourself on a soapbox looking down at anybody? Do you, do you always give everybody the benefit of the doubt being in the position you are of protecting our freedoms and knowing that, that what you do for a living for all of us, the sacrifices you make. So, but do you ever look at somebody and be like, how are you, how do you let it get this out of hand? Whether it's obesity, mm. whether it's six marriages, whether it's be bad parenting, do you ever look at them and find yourself judging or are you past that part to where your psyche's turned off that button of being able to judge somebody? Cause I think for me, I look at people and you, cause I, I this question arose when you said, you know, you surround yourself with the people that you want to be like, well, do you also distance yourself from the people that you don't want to be like, and, and you judge them by that? So you're like, wow, man, how did you let yourself go that bad? How, how did you, how did you become an alcoholic? How there's disease, there's depression, there's all this stuff. But how do you look at stuff like that when you're so optimistic, when you're so regimented, when you're so successful. Um, but there are other things in life that your friends have that you might want that you haven't achieved. So, you know, like you are getting up there towards 40. You haven't started fatherhood yet. Do you want that? Cause all of a sudden now you got to meet a girl, you got to quarter, you got to have a relationship. Maybe that'll turn into it. Is she going to be of the age to where she can successfully and safely have kids? Like all this stuff is going to my head, but are you judging yourself because you're not there yet? Are you judging them because they didn't stay where you're at and continue to fight the good fight? And how do you look at people when they're like, not as regimented as you and and living by these these, these you know these short-term goals and everything and all of your tactical and 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 the way that you your operation your tactical and your strategic do you judge people jeremiah oh I, I are you sure? a critical person i'm a right when i would go to a tony robbins class or a rapport class i'm sorry to interrupt you i would always i would always be told i'm a way too critical person whether it was on myself whether it was on my girlfriend whether it was on my family whatever it was i've always been critical are you critical and judgmental um i am critical with people who are close to me yeah so I, i'm critical with those people right so if i if i have my my circle Right. And if people are in my circle, you know, you're in the circle of trust, then, yeah, you, I'm very critical of them. And, and you owe it to them to be critical of them. And, and you want the, them to be critical of you back, because if they're not, then you're you're doing them and they are doing you a disservice. Um, when we talk about like from a, you know, I'll use a, um, a, a flying example. Um, our process of, of going to fly uh, is actually relatively simple. We plan, we brief, we execute, we debrief. Um, and, and that is a regimented process. You go through and you do it. Sometimes the planning is really, really short. Sometimes the briefing can, I can walk in today and like, all right, good morning. Uh, I'm Biff. I'll be blue one today. The plan is standard. Let's go execute. Uh, you know, so sometimes it can be very short like that. Or sometimes it's an amazingly in-depth and complex plan uh, like we were working on last week. Either way, the process is still the same. Um, when you're executing, uh, and so like those are people who are going to be close to you, uh, that we have a, a phrase that we say that there's no rank in the cockpit, right? Like I'm no longer Lieutenant Colonel Carlson in the, in the cockpit. I'm Biff, and you're my teammate, and we're all working together to get the mission done, to get the mission accomplished. There is a designated leader, the flight lead. Uh, or the mission commander, like, so he's the leader, she's the leader, whatever they say goes, and that's what we're going to go and execute, right? Uh, that's that's the way that has to go. When you get to the debrief, right, and, and all learning occurs in the debrief, 
Um, not only is rank off, but the gloves are off for the debrief, right? It's like when I fly, I have to wear gloves to protect your hands uh, from all the elements and from fires if they develop in the, in the cockpit. Thankfully, in modern fighters, that's a pretty much a thing of the past. But sometimes when you fly out here in the desert, stuff gets really hot. Uh, so you wear gloves. But when you get to the debrief, the gloves are off. Uh, same thing in the boxing analogy, the gloves are off. So meaning it's right? time so to be critical. You can throw some exactly. punches now. Exactly. Uh, so you pull no punches uh, in the debrief. And so with people who are in your inner circle, uh, who you are allowing to influence your life, uh, it's very important to be critical of that, you know, to, to make them to get better. Right. So that's one way of looking at the world. But you cannot, you absolutely cannot take that uh, and do that to the rest of the world. Right. And, and you cannot look with that harsh and that critical of an eye on people that you're just meeting and who you might just be influencing for a couple of minutes in a conversation, right? Uh, or that you hear about, right? Who may not be in your inner circle. Um, then I think it's really important uh, to meet people where they're at and encourage them to grow. Uh, so, you know, recognizing that circumstances in life may have, have, have overwhelmed somebody and they got obese or they became an alcoholic or, you know, they're on their 12th marriage. Um, so it's really important to meet them and to show them compassion, to encourage them to grow. But like if I meet somebody who's on their 12th marriage and they're abusive to their spouses or, you know, verbally or something like that, that person ain't coming into the circle, right? Like I need to encourage them. Maybe I need to report them to the uh, authorities. Um, like you're, ain't gonna, you're not going to be coming into the circle. Uh, if you don't meet those criteria of, of this is where I want to go with my life. Is the circle, so that's another way to, is to the circle unlimited because you don't know how many people you're going to meet that you might want in it? Or do you, do, yeah. when you start thinking strategically, do you, do you know that you're only going to have uh, maybe two hands full in there, 10 people, or can it be yeah. hundreds and hundreds? Um, I don't think it could be hundreds and hundreds, right? Like, as you go on in your life and I've, you know, I've moved a, a dozen times or so uh, throughout my military career, like I'm kind of always on the go. So that is naturally going to lend itself to, you have a really wide circle of people um, who, you know, or can have an influence on you or you can have an influence on. Um, but I think you have to keep your inner circle pretty small. Um, and it has to be people that see you on a regular basis, right? Like I, I, I can't, have people who are in my, you know, inner circle, not interacting with me on a regular basis, because otherwise you can, that's how you can start to hide stuff from one another, right? You can hide stuff from yourself. Uh, if your best friend isn't right there close to you, or you're not having good interactions. Um, and you can start to lie to yourself. Uh, you can start covering things up. You can start not talking about them, not addressing them. And they'll, they'll grow like a cancer if you don't, if you don't do that. So I think it's really important to keep your inner circle small. Um, and it's not like I'm going to push those people away, right? And some people who were in my inner circle, you know, four, five, six years ago are no longer in my inner circle because we've moved away and we have physical distance or they're at a different point in life uh, from me. Um, and that's okay. You know, like it, it, you know, some of my best friends, like the guys that I went to, to combat with, right? I don't always talk to them every day. They're still some of my best friends in the entire world. Um, but as you look at your inner circle uh, of people that you 
that you allow to influence and that you influence specifically, I think it's really important to keep that pretty small. When you talk about the inner circle and you care about these people, they're influencing you and you obviously have influence on them. Do you wait for them to ask for your critique or because sometimes I find myself, I'll give you an example and you tell me, I would ask you for advice. I came to Biff and I said, Hey Biff, I got this guy in my inner circle, uh, married eight years, miserable, had a kid, great kid going through divorce, already dating another girl, already in love with a company growing, wants to grow it revenue, kind of average at best below average. I look at it on a lot of different levels. Like one, you owe it to your son, you owe it to your company and you owe it to yourself to better yourself before you flop right back into another relationship, not just a hookup, not just, not just dating. I'm talking like a relationship, social media relationship, love being said already. Okay. Now I look at it like Chad, who the hell do you think you are to judge this man to each their own? But then I also see this individual come to me for financial help. He comes to me for different business advice. But when I critique him and say, look, I don't approve of this. You did not take any time. And it's not my place to prove. That's why I know you're giggling because who am I? But I find myself Biff thinking like, why are you not bettering yourself? Why are you not taking this time to become a better father? Why are you not putting all your focus and energy into this business that you want to grow and create more revenue streams to make your retirement a little bit more successful and sooner? But who am I to say, well, maybe he just wants to be in love and go live this fairy tale life of having that girl in his life when I necessarily didn't need that. I could be alone and be the guy that, hey, you know, I don't need somebody there with me all the time, even though it's nice. I, I kind of get that same vibe with you that you've said your relation, your, your relationship work was, wasn't as important as the professional part of your, not important, but you know, it wasn't for, first and foremost, like your profession was of being a fighter pilot. Would you say, hey, leave him alone and let him find out for himself or he's in my inner circle. So should I critique him like that or is it none of my business? Because I kind of feel weird putting myself out there and saying that stuff. But I'm like his only friend that will do it. Does that make sense? What I'm what I'm telling you? Yeah, it does. It does. And I, and I think it's really important to 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 voice your concerns. Um, you know, you do it in a loving way. Right. Like, you don't you don't have to just break him down and make him go break up with his, you know, girlfriend or whatever. Um, you need to do it in a loving way, but you also need to be very direct. Uh, and if you're not direct with people, you're doing them a disservice. Uh, if they're in your inner circle, you need to be very direct with people. Um, that is, that, that's a hard thing to do, man. That's a hard thing to do. Like one of the things that I always struggle with uh, and have since I was a kid is like, I'm, I'm a perfectionist and I want everybody to like me. Like, I really want people to like me. Um, and if you're going to be direct with people, uh, you got to be able to willing to take those gloves off um, and, and, and to be upfront, to do it lovingly, to do it compassionately, but to do it directly. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's important. I think you owe it to them um, and that you're doing a disservice to your friends uh, if you don't address things that you see as as they're messing up. And, and I want people to do that to me um, because if you if you can, if you don't have a good grasp, uh, on where you're at, um, and if you don't let people do that for you, 
you can really kind of find yourself wandering, walking down some pretty bad roads. Do you, one of the other things, I agree with both of what you just said about critical and, and wanting everybody to like you. And you also made mention earlier about how you're very apologetic. I've always been that way. If I mess up, I mean, I'd punch somebody in the nose in eighth grade and then carry him to the nurse's office, right? It was, it was kind of like how my heart was. Like, I'm not going to back down from you. We'll go to blows. You're either going to lay me out. But if I do get you, I'm going to go make sure that you're not hurt that bad. And, and then I'm going to call your house that night and apologize to you and your dad because I can find your phone yeah. number in the old school phone books, right? That's how I was growing up all the time. I'd get suspended from school for fighting, but then that night I would call my enemy's dad and mom and apologize for what I did to their son or, or, or vice versa. But a lot of people never called me when they beat the heck out of me. I've, 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 I've kind of always had that personality trait. So yeah. I, I, I kind of see like you're apologetic. You want everybody to like you. And that's why kind of like when I say that stuff, I'm always like, should I have bit my tongue? But no, because it's it, it, it's like he's falling into this deal to where potentially he could go down that same exact road again. And I don't know if he needs a little input from an outer, you know, his buddy in his inner circle. And I just always find myself like almost feeling guilty for doing it. But then a day two comes goes by. He, he's even, you know, texted me or called me and said, man, I, I appreciate the advice. I appreciate the words. And I, and I am kind of stern on him. I'm like, man, you, 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 you can't keep going down this road. Your, your, your focus has got to be here. But then I go, well, who am I to tell him how to live? Like to be cut from the same thread as I am or have the same blood. Not everybody's the same. He might never be able to do what I do in business, but I want him to understand that there's a time period that you got to take for yourself. I think that's kind of where you're touching on is that you got to, you have to have this routine and you have to take care of yourself and you have to take care of your inner circle and you have to be able to be okay by yourself for a little bit is what I've told him. So I didn't know like if you would tell me like, I'm glad that you said it's okay to tell people in your inner circle that it's not like I was at the gym and I'm, this guy goes, Hey, I want you to meet Marty. And it's the first time I met him. Like, Oh, he's got a new girlfriend. He's only been divorced a year. And then I sit him down on the bench press right there and go, look, Marty, you know, it's not like that. I just watched this guy go through eight years of this. Right. So anyway, I'm sending you a picture real quick. I want you to, I want you to to look at this picture. I don't know if you've seen it yet or not. Um, Um, it's kind so of in answer to in answer to that, right? Like I think that reflection is a really important thing to do, um, uh, and so that's where in my daily routine, right? It's like I have my action oriented morning routine, then I've got how I go through my work day, um, and then in the evening when I get home, uh, that's a really important time for reflection, right? Uh, so being able to read, like being a reader, is a really important thing for me, uh, to grow your cognitive capacity, to grow your understanding. Right. Um, so reading is really important. Uh, journaling is really, really important. Uh, being able to like write down your thoughts and to do it in a, in a, in a place where you can get away from everybody else. You can get away from uh, other people's judgments, uh, on what you're writing on what you're, you know, on your thoughts. And you can really explore, you can have a conversation with God. You can have a conversation with your heart. Um, you can have a conversation with people, right? Like you can, you can write down, you always talk about like whenever you're in a, in a heated conversation or an argument and you finish that conversation, you're like, ah, man, I should have, should have said that, or I should have done that. Right. you can go back and you can write and you can have that conversation and you can, you know, think about the words that you would say. Uh, and then if you need to, you can go back and say them, uh, or perhaps because you've written them down. 
Uh, it's created a permanency in your brain. It's gone from a short-term memory into a long-term memory. Uh, and that you'll have that those sort of tools at your disposal in a future argument or a future disagreement or, uh, you know, and, and you can really just have that time of reflection. I think it's really, really important to do that. Um, so from like being critical with people, you owe it to them, but you also owe them that grace. Uh, grace is a really, really important thing to, to give great people grace, uh, to give people mercy um, and to allow them to have a time of reflection and to grow. What do you mean by the word grace? Like you gracefully do it or ex explain that a little bit more to me, or you yeah. give them, you give them time. I understand the reflection part of it. What's the grace mean? <laughs> that's, that's a fun, that's a, that's a fun picture. Look at that picture real quick. That's, that's, that's the new, uh, oh, holy crap. do you want to send me some updated ones? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was from, so that one was from when I was in training uh, finishing training, flying T-38s uh, in Enid, Oklahoma at, at Vance Air Force Base, or they call Enid America. Oh, I've hunted uh, all over Enid. Dude, I've hunted all over Enid. It's a great spot. I've hunted I all love, over by I, that I, base. Yeah, so I went, you know, I moved, so I, I started out my career as a backseater, uh, as a Wizzo in the F-15, and then after, gosh, four and a half years or so of, of being a Wizzo, really randomly got the opportunity to move six feet forward and become a pilot. Um, so I went, I moved from living in Cambridge, England, uh, being a, you know, mid twenties, single fighter pilot raging around Europe, going on deployment to, uh, you know, living a kind of very urban traveling all over Europe, uh, existence to then moving to Enid, Oklahoma and the Northwest of Oklahoma, almost by the panhandle, uh, going back to training, like going from sort of top of my game you know, instructor, mission commander, ready to, you know, thinking about going to weapons school. All right, now you're going to go back and be a pilot training student. Uh, oh, okay. And and go back and, all right, this is the basics. You push the stick forward and the houses get bigger. You pull the stick backwards and the houses get smaller. Uh, so I, I kind of went, had to go back and through that process. And it was really um, an important time for me uh, to grow leadership wise and to grow like in killing your ego uh, and to be, to be humble. Uh, I got humbled a lot, uh, and, and still continue to get humbled a lot. Uh, it's funny that, that you have that picture. That's a, that's a fun one. That's gosh, I, I think I maybe just turned 30 years old or so. And it's, it's interesting to look at that. I'll have to you know, do a little side by side comparison. I was like, all right, this is me at 30 and this is me at 37. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. It's pretty, it's pretty similar except the stash and the hair and uh, the jawline yeah, even right. changed a little bit. I think you've. I think you're even a little bit leaner today. I probably am. You know. Will you send I me some updated pictures? Yeah, certainly. You know, take my, take a little bit better care of myself uh, than I probably send, do. Send it, me a few updates. Send me a few updated ones so I can uh, get the promos going for this episode. So Grace, talk to yeah, me. What does that Grace. mean? Um. So, you know, being a Christian is a really important part of my life. Uh, my faith is a really important part of life. Like I base my life and my approach to people uh, on faith um, and the understanding that I am a really uh, lost individual, right? And that it is through grace uh, that I am saved. It is not through my own works. It's not through me being an amazing human being um, because I fail mightily. Like I fail mightily. Uh, and I have to grow 
through those failures. Like I have to let grace be given to me uh, from God. And I have to let grace work in my life to other people. Um, and I have to, to, so I have to show grace, I have to show mercy because I have been shown uh, the ultimate grace and the ultimate mercy um, through Jesus. Uh, and I have to grow, right? Like it's one thing to experience grace and like, oh, I'm forgiven. Yay. But if you're not growing and if you're not getting better and if you're not carving out the cancer in your life uh, and turning it over and becoming a better version of yourself, then you're just being lazy, right? Like it's, it's, it's not all faith and it's not all works. You have to put those two together. And to me, uh, that's where grace comes in uh, of, of understanding that you have failures, understanding that everyone else is going to as well. Um, and then really finding the courage uh, to face those um, and, and to grow and to make yourself better. <laughs> and does this, does this keep you, what is the number one thing in your life right now? As badass as you are, what you do for a living. And I re, I mean that I really, I know that it's, I know that you don't look at it that way. It's just a job. I get that. But there was, there, there's a few select people in this world that wish that they could do that job. A lot of people grew up wanting to be a fighter pilot. What is the number one thing in Biff's life that keeps you grounded now? That is, that's lost the arrogance that has brought more humility that keeps you rooted. Is it the grace? Is it the relationship with the man upstairs and Jesus Christ through Christianity? You're praying or is it your discipline and your ability to structure your life like this? Because that is a big way of staying grounded is by saying, Hey, I'm just here. I'm a pawn. I'm just doing this. And I'm here for this reason for this, uh, this long. And I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be critical. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to do this. What, what keeps you humble and what keeps you grounded now as opposed to maybe when that picture was taken a while back maybe maybe you had some arrogance becoming a fighter pilot at an early age and 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 going into battle and all that there there probably was a little ego sometimes what's changed and what is the number one thing that keeps a guy like you grounded now yeah i and and don't get me wrong the ego is still there and i have to work on killing it every single day uh so yeah like like you gotta kill your ego um, the discipline is, is like, that is the kind of, that's the way, like, like we're going back to what we talked about at the, at the very beginning. There's no easy way in life. There's no hack. There's no shortcut. Like discipline is the way, you know, you talk about Jocko is the king of all that, right? Like there is no easy, there's no shortcut. It only has to come through discipline. Um, the things that, that, that drive me in my life, like I became an uncle, uh, two years ago. Um, and I now have a, a, a new nephew who's just turned six months old, um, who I still have yet to meet. Um, I'm hoping I get to meet him again soon and we can kind of lessen up our travel restrictions. Um, but becoming an uncle, uh, like meeting my little niece, Bonnie, uh, and holding her for the first time, like that was such a powerful moment in my life of this little thing, this alien infant uh, and feeling an incredible amount of love right away. Um, that was, was really powerful for me. Um, and like when my, when my sister had her, had her daughter. Um, and I think that's probably the thing that, that keeps me uh, the most grounded. And when I fail, uh, 
that I'm like, man, that's where I want to be. And I'm not there yet. Um, I want to make sure that I'm there for Bonnie and that I'm there for baby Charlie and, and, and for whatever spouse uh, or future children like to just so that you arrive at the end of your days uh, and you're not looking for more time to go back and do it different. As you said before. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's what I want to do as you move through the whole journey of life. Like uh, my dad's a, 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 clinical psychologist, uh, and he, he focuses a lot, uh, on that, on what is the, the path and the trajectory of your life and how do you arrive at the end of your days, not needing more time or, 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 you know, begging for more time to live your life over in a different, in a different way. Um, I love that. I really do. I love that. So with yeah. baby Bonnie and this overwhelming yeah. love, and maybe at 37, Biff starts to think of a spouse, maybe that different part of life. Is there any part of you that doesn't want to go on a mission anymore because of what could happen? And you can't come home to baby Bonnie now that she's in your life. Now that you saw your sister go through this and give birth to this little ball of love to your mindset of maybe a girlfriend is needed now. Maybe a wife might be in the future for Biff. Does that make you ever no. go, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of leaning towards maybe not getting to that call anymore. Ah, uh, yeah. Or do you yeah, need there's, it? There's, there's elements of it. Um, I think that it is so ingrained in me. Um, you know, like we talked about on, on the first podcast, like I still got a bag packed, um, and I always will until I hang up the, the uniform and I retire, uh, I'll still always have a bag packed, um, and ready to do that. Um, because that's, that's your job. That's the mission. That's what I've been doing, uh, for my entire life. But yeah, I, I think about that a lot. Um, you know, I certainly have the luxury of, of, of flying a jet, right. It's a, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to do that. Um, it's also like pretty safe. Uh, you know, it, it's probably the most dangerous part of my day is still when I drive uh, my motorcycle to work. Like that's still probably the most dangerous part of my day. Um, obviously those risks and everything like that get, get elevated in combat. Uh, you always have to really manage risk. Uh, that's something that we talk about a lot of, of like managing risk at the appropriate level. Uh, what is your acceptable level of risk uh, for the mission you're going to go execute today? Um, and so, yeah, I do think about that a lot. Like as I've, my life changes, like what is the risk that I'm willing to accept, uh, to, to do any actions? Uh, I think about that a lot as I'm, I'm getting ready to, to head up to Utah and go elk hunting for, uh, some time. And then I'm going to go up to the salmon river and go raft the main salmon for a week. Um, yeah, I think a lot about that. Like, what is my acceptable level of risk in the mountains, right? Like, what am I willing to do? What is a, a, a trail that I'm willing to take versus a trail that I'm not? Uh, a shot that I'm willing to take versus a not? Where am I going to camp? Uh, I think about that, like hunting. I think about that backpacking. I think about that when I'm backcountry skiing. You know, it, it's it's a constant risk management thing. Um, Smart. When I'm rap running a rapid, right? Like, what is the line I'm going to take? Like, where are the undercut rocks? Where's the deep V? I'm going to find that. Like, where's my move? three moves down in this rapid, like where am I going to put the raft? Uh, like those are all really important things to think about from a risk management perspective. And then as you start to bring in other players, right? Like when I take my parents who are getting older and I take them on the raft with me, my acceptable level of risk is a lot lower than when it's just me out there. Um, you know, if I'm driving, the, you know, it's, it's this 
you you put a kid in the in the car seat and suddenly your road rage isn't quite as uh, apparent. Um, so yeah, I, I think about that a lot, uh, and it's a it's a pretty life changing thing, as I can imagine. Becoming a parent would be even more so. Guaranteed. Even though some people say, you know, I love my niece and nephew because they go home with their mom and dad at the end of the day. <laughs> I do. I do enjoy that part too. I do, do enjoy. Fair. Yeah, I, I do, do enjoy, enjoy that part. Hey, I want to. I want to schedule part three. This has been a blast again. It, it starts off with, it's just life, man. It's just cool being able to talk about what we experience and how much we do have in common. And it's funny how people see that. You know, when Tim first introduced us, he saw it, and I, I, I truly think it is. And I enjoy the conversations, and I enjoy the transparency and the honesty. And I think that that's a real with what your dad grew up doing for a living and my ability to tell people that it's okay to go sit down with a psychiatrist or a psychologist and sit there and talk and get it out because I'm not ashamed of that. Everybody should look into that because I don't get judged in that room. At least I don't know I'm being judged and it's good and it's healthy for me. And as I mature now, I'm, I'm seven years older than you. I want mm-hmm. to be able to look back and not ask for that extra time to go live my life again. I'm trying to do things right. I do have a lot of fun, but after I'm done having fun, I try to discipline myself. Like yesterday we had a Traeger pizza day. I told you about last night. Oh yeah. Those pictures are great. So it's swim day. It's 98 degrees. It's Sunday. People get tired. They want to start their work weeks. People dissipate and they leave the party. I could have very easily just left everything the way it looked, but went in and just started cleaning. My brother stayed around and made it to where when I woke up in the morning, I was proud of it. I didn't sit there and make an excuse of like, and I didn't pass the buck and I didn't procrastinate and I didn't, I just said, let's get this done and let's attack it and let's be, let's do it right. And I take pride in that. When I walk into my yard, if I see a piece of paper, whether it's a gum wrapper, that's something that's not supposed to be there. I make sure I take the time to bend down and pick it up and put it in the trash can because I, and I want people to see that and lead by example and, and have that same feeling of, of take care of your yard, take care of your place, take care of your dwelling, take care of your inner circle. And then, and, and I think that our conversation kind of borders around that. I want to do it again. I want to get into kind of where we're leaving it today about how, when does this start to take place? You know, I'm proud that I'm maturing this much at 40 instead of waiting until I'm 60, 65 because I know many people that have waited that long and I want to I there's a lot that goes into life it's cool it's neat that it's neat that your chapter of being a fighter pilot potentially could be over in five years and what's next that's a cool feeling it might be scary it might be apprehensive it might be depressing and sad at times it might make you think man I am kind of getting into my middle age but dude life is so precious and it's so awesome to be able to say dude at 40 or 42 Biff's going to be able to either be an instructor he might be an entrepreneur and start a business he might go into the hunting business he might design backpacks for elk hunters he might design whitewater rafts there's that's what's so awesome about being an American and living in this country and having the freedoms to say I want to be an entrepreneur I want to be a flight instructor I want to be a psychologist I want to be a professional musician and get a my first record deal at 55 or however old Tim Montana is now you know better I do. Don't, don't yeah. tell him I said that, babe. but congratulations <laughs> on everything. But I, 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 first of all, you know, lastly, I just want to say thank you for what you do, because we do get to wake up and live this life. And I don't take it for granted. And I, and I hold our military in the highest regards, just like you do. And I appreciate your time. And I say that we just keep this a constant because life is ever changing, man. These balls in the air and we're juggling every day. We can keep talking about it, my man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, Chad. Yes, sir. So I'll send you some times for the next one. Yeah, anytime. Jeremiah, send me some yeah. updated pictures, please, for this. Yeah, I certainly will. I'll probably be uh, 
very out of reach for about two weeks. But when I get back, I look forward to it. Okay, I'll do that. But send me a picture today so I have it because this will go live before you're back. And, yeah, and the other thing that I need you to ship me is after you after you uh, arrow that bull, I need the back strap and the tenderloin. Thank you, Biff. I appreciate Good the back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. It's been another episode of This Life Ain't for Everybody. That's Mr. Jeremiah Carlson, a.k.a. Biff, fighter pilot, U.S. Navy, U.S. Air Force. He is the man. We appreciate his time. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Jack Daniels. Please enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. We will be back at you with another exciting episode of the podcast. Tom, hit that button. This is Leith Lofton singing a Smash it. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Thank y'all. Cause I'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich as hell without a soul. Life on earth won't last too long. So what you gonna do when the money's all gone? I'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich as hell without a soul. Life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone?